I'm Tom Tate, and this is the Power Time Podcast. What's up, Power Players? Welcome back to the Power Time Podcast. This is an audio program for gamers of all ages. It's your journey through the history of Nintendo, one issue of Nintendo Power Magazine at a time. I'm your host and guide, Tom Tate. I'll be taking you on this journey. I am super excited to bring you this episode. It is February 2019. Big Nintendo news this past couple of weeks. Uh, The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening is getting the remake treatment that we all desire on the Nintendo Switch. I'm super excited for this. The art style looks amazing. It's an all-time favorite game for me. Incredible use of the Game Boy hardware, uh, but on its own, you know, the story and the music stands really strong. Uh, And it's hard to believe that this game made use of just those two buttons. Uh, And, you know, if you used different items assigned to different buttons, you could do some pretty cool things. It'll be interesting to see how all of this translates onto the Nintendo Switch. Such a quirky title. Can't wait to cover it on Power Time. The original, that is, it was featured on the cover of Nintendo Power's 50th issue, NP50. So we have about 21 episodes to go. Hopefully I can get there a bit faster uh, than I've been moving lately, Uh, but we'll see what we can. We'll get there hopefully sooner rather than later. And then the big news today, of course, at the time of this recording, is there is a new Pokemon title coming to the Nintendo Switch. I'm not a huge Pokemon fan, uh, but I know that's big news. Oh, and Reggie left too. I'm not going to make that Bowser joke that everyone else has been making in the podcast world, but Reggie's being replaced by Bowser. Ha ha, let's laugh it off. Uh, But we have a lot to cover. And we're not going to talk about Karen Gen Gaming. Uh, I just burned a couple minutes talking about it because I'm excited about all these things. But I was excited about a lot of things back in 1991 too. So let's flash back. We're going to travel back in time to October of 1991. So October of 1991, let's just take a look at some of the things that were happening. Uh, Little Man Tate uh, hit the theaters. This was a film, I want to say Jodie Foster was in it. I can't remember who was the star of Little Man Tate, but my last name is Tate and I was young. I was a little man. Uh, So everyone was calling me Little Man Tate back in October of 1991 when this movie uh, hit the big screen. Uh, Other movies that hit the screen uh, cool as ice, which was the vanilla ice movie. Uh, very, very terrible movie. I encourage you just to go back and watch a few clips of how bad this movie was. Of course, you'll remember vanilla ice from his music career, but you'll probably also remember his acting in the teenage mutant Ninja turtles movie. I'm pretty sure it was turtles Two, uh, the secret of the ooze. So vanilla ice, cool as ice, little man, Tate. And then there was Ernest scared, stupid. So October, Halloween season. You have to have that obligatory Halloween film hit the big screen. For us in 1991, it was Ernest Scared Stupid, one of the Ernest movies. I actually remember seeing this movie, not in theaters, but later on and being quite terrified of it. Uh, I was a little young, so that would make sense. But yeah, very interesting movie. Uh, Top of the charts. So Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch, Good Vibrations. It was 1991. What can you say? Uh, Mariah Carey, Emotions, another big hit. Uh, And October of 1991 brought us all these great films and all these great songs that were on the radio, but it also brought us another issue of Nintendo Power Magazine. So fresh off the heels of the Super Mario World issue that we covered in the last episode, 
this one really needed to deliver. Super Nintendo was just being released, and we'll see. We'll see if this issue of Nintendo Power brings the goods. So let's start off this episode, as we always do, taking a look at the cover of this featured issue. So volume 29, still $3.50 in the US, $4.15 Canada. We have the iconic Nintendo Power logo at the top. That doesn't really change from month to month. Uh, the featured game here is Star Trek. So we have a look at this ship. I want to say it's the USS Enterprise. I am not a Star Trek fan, so you're going to hear that throughout this episode. And if you are a Star Trek fan, you're going to be quite upset with me. So I want to say this is the Enterprise uh, Star Trek beam up in quotation marks to adventure. The other features in this issue that are referenced, we have Super NES, F-Zero, Game Boy, Castlevania 2, and NES Classic Metroid. So the NES only five years old at this point, and it's already being referred to as a classic. We have the official Nintendo seal of quality, and then down at the bottom, the source for news and strategies straight from the pros. So turning the page, we have Powerline. Powerline is a quick note from the editor just to showcase what's going to be in this issue. Uh, we're going to get a review of Metroid 1. This is kind of a retro review at this point. Uh, they've never really done this before, so it's kind of interesting. And I'm pretty sure this was in anticipation for the next issue's review, which is going to be Metroid to the return of Samus, and that came out for the Game Boy. There's a big Super NES feature here of F-Zero. This is a brand new franchise for, for the Super Nintendo. Fantastic, futuristic space race. That's how it's described here in the issue. Castlevania II, Belmont's Revenge, and Bart Simpson's Escape from Camp Deadly highlight the Game Boy section, and the cover story, of course, is going to be Star Trek on the NES. Turning the page, uh, we have some highlights from the table of contents, Shatterhand, Roger Clemens, MVP Baseball, Super Goals and Ghosts, Super R-Type, and all the hits, Nestor's Adventures, Counselor's Corner, Now Playing, Pack Watch, and our Top 30. So let's jump right in to our featured game. Adventure begins. Captain's Log, Stardate 28313. While exploring strange gravitational disturbances in the Sigma Iota system, our ship was caught in a huge dimensional gate. Unable to break free, we were pulled into the gate and have now been sent to uncharted regions of space. Mr. Scott has informed me that the warp engines are down. We have no dilithium crystals and we will lose impulse power in two hours. Our only hope is to beam down onto the planet that we now orbit and find a way to power the ship. The search party will consist of myself, First Officer Spock, and Dr. McCoy. This is Star Trek 1991, 25th anniversary. So before we get started, what we just heard was the official soundtrack as remixed by WeGuy on YouTube. Links are in the show notes if you want to check that out. And I read verbatim kind of the opening for this section of Nintendo Power. We're going to take a look at Star Trek, the final frontier for a quarter of a century, the Starship USS Enterprise. See, I was right. The Starship USS Enterprise and her crew have been carrying out their mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. And we're taking a look at Star Trek. This is developed uh, by 
Ultra Games. Um, the Game Pack data box here, which is going to give me the review, uh, says that it is using the MMC3 chip, 2 megabytes by 2 megabytes. Graphics and sound, 3.4. Play control, 3.0. Challenge and interest, 4.1. And theme and fun, 4.0. So pretty decent score here for Nintendo Power. Obviously, it is a licensed video game based on a franchise. We know we've seen from time to time Nintendo Power likes to feature these on the cover. They probably moved a lot of issues, especially with fans. Uh, but we're going to take a look at kind of what 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 is this game? What makes up this Star Trek game? Is it worth playing? Uh, and we'll take a look at how this game is featured. So the gameplay here, it bounces back and forth between role-playing and decision-making on the ship's deck. And there's action-adventure uh, type of gameplay when you're exploring the individual planets. So according to this issue, there are multiple planets to discover and explore, but this feature only covers uh, and showcases the four required planets to complete the game. So it looks like you can explore other planets, but there's only four that you actually need to touch down on so that you can finish your objectives and finish the game. We learn a bit about the controls here. Uh, it talks about how to take command from the bridge. So I guess you're you're giving uh, different commands, you're making decisions on the bridge of the ship, and there's a save feature that's met mentioned here, which is super helpful, especially if this is a longer game. And uh, from all accounts, it looks like this is a bit of a graphic adventure style game when you get down to the actual planets. Uh, turning the page, we learn about Masaba, an Aztec-style planet with a temple. Uh, you have to explore and find the, the lithium to power the ship. Uh, it looks like there are some light puzzles and enemies that you have to kind of overcome here. Other worlds featured here, we have Lakithos, Shroud 4, and Iosha. I'll be honest, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about the uh, the tips and tricks here in this game because the game itself and the gameplay itself, it seems kind of bland, kind of generic as it's described here in the magazine. Uh, you have subheadlines here like move the rock or explore the base. And it just doesn't look that uh, exciting. If I was a kid, even if I wasn't a Star Trek fan, or even if I was a Star Trek fan, I would not be super excited to pick up a game where the objective is move the rock or explore the base. I think games have come a bit further than that at this point in the NES's history. Uh, and then the article just drops off completely. You turn the page expecting more Star Trek and it's Roger Clemens MVP base baseball. It just kind of ends right there. Uh, and I want to talk about Roger Clemens MVP baseball, but before I do that, uh, and I apologize, I'm not a Star Trek fan. I made that clear in the beginning. I should touch on the history of this game, right? I should touch a bit on the history of Star Trek. So let's do that uh, real quick. This is some light Wikipedia history here. Subject to peer review, so if I got things wrong, feel free to call me out on it. Uh, but it looks like there were three versions of Star Trek 25th Anniversary. There's a Game Boy title that was developed by Visual Concepts. It was released by Ultra Games, same time. There's a PC game that was developed and released by Interplay. This game was released on floppy disks, and it was it's available now. So you can play this title, the PC version, on uh, GOG.com, and I'm pretty sure it's also on Steam if you want to check that out. And then this game that we're discussing that's in Nintendo Power uh, is the NES title, right? So the Nintendo title was developed by Interplay. It was released by Ultra Games. Uh, Ultra Games, of course, I believe was a subsidiary of Konami. And uh, same developer as the PC title, so it was developed by Interplay, but very, very different. 
graphically and also different gameplay wise. So if you look into both of these games, you'll see that there are quite a few differences as was the case typically when you had PC games that were also showing up on the NES. We talked a bit about that with Maniac Mansion. Uh, So it looks like these games, even though we're looking at this issue in October of 1991, it looks like all three of these games were actually released in 92. Uh, So there's a bit of a delay there. I'm not sure why they didn't just hold this issue until until then, right? Until it was closer to release. Also, according to uh, just some light research, this was the last NES game released by Ultra Games. Uh, Ultra Games released a ton of NES games. They released Metal Gear, Snakes Revenge, Skate or Die, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and Rare's Pirates. So Ultra Games just released the game. It was Interplay that developed it, and they had a few NES games under their belt at the time. Total Recall, which was the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, The Adventures of Rad Gravity, which was this weird Activision game. They had The Bard's Tale and they had Swords and Serpents. These were two role-playing games on the NES, but none of those games, at least in my opinion, were all that memorable. A gentleman by the name of Ryan D. Giorgi over at JustGamesRetro.com did a really good analysis of the title that I'll link up in the show notes. Ryan wrote, it's much too easy and far too short. The developers passed up several opportunities to make the game more challenging. As you traverse the surface of a given planet, the A button will allow you to scan unusual items with your tricorder, while the B button will fire your phaser. For some reason, only Kirk and the security officer can use phasers, but since you'll meet very few enemies, this isn't a problem. If your health gets too low, you'll automatically beam back to the ship with no penalty. You can beam right back down with full health and your inventory intact. The only consequence is having to start back at the insertion point. So I'm going to link up that full review if you want to check it out. I couldn't find too much else, but if this was your favorite game, if this was one of your top games on the NES, I'd love to know. So you can reach me on Twitter at YoPowerTime, Y-O PowerTime, and let me know what you thought of Star Trek, the 25th anniversary. Okay, so enough about this game. Let's get into that other featured game in this issue. I think you're going to be a little bit more impressed with this title.
fly into the future, high above the cities and wastelands of century Earth, hover the fastest, most dangerous machines known to man or mutant. Their pilots are steely-nerved competitors driven to be at the top of the heap. This is F-Zero, a Super Nintendo classic that kicked off a fan-favorite franchise. And remember, this is pre-Mario Kart, so this is where racing fans could finally get their fix. So before we get started, that was the F-Zero medley from On Being Human. Please, please support this amazing band. I will have links in the show notes if you want to check them out. They are absolutely incredible. Uh, And I actually kind of bleeped out what century this game takes place in. So I've never really done this before, but I want to do a quick round of power time trivia. So when did the original F-Zero take place? What century uh, on Earth does this game take place? Was it the 23rd century? Was it the 26th century? Was it the 30th century? Or was it the 29th century? Okay, so the answer was it was the 26th century. So that's how far into the future we are in the setting of F-Zero. So every once in a while, I might try to sneak some trivia in there. I know that was kind of a lame one, but uh, I thought it was interesting uh, to kind of think through like what is the actual time period that this game is supposed to take place. It's not just the year 20XX. So in this issue, we learn all about F-Zero. We learn that there's a Grand Prix mode and there's a practice mode. There are three circuits, the Knight, the Queen, and the King circuit. And you'll recognize some of these course titles. I'm going to talk through them. And if you've been a fan of this franchise, you'll recognize Mute City, Red Canyon, Port Town, Deathwind, and the infamous Big Blue. I actually recognize some of these names even further from listening to the game's amazing soundtrack over and over again couple of good YouTube playlists that I've been playing, especially when I do work. And also I've been playing Super Smash Brothers uh, and some of these titles appear in the F-Zero inspired stages in Smash. So you might recognize them there. Uh, there's an illustration of the Super Nintendo controller that shows you how to make use of all four face buttons to accelerate, brake, and blast your turbo super jet. And also how to lean and dig with the L and R buttons to slide around corners. This was really important because that L and R button uh, combination and four face buttons on your controller, that was new. People who had the NES weren't used to being able to to, uh, capitalize on all these different inputs. We also get a look on the next page at the various pilots and their machines. We have Captain Falcon piloting the Blue Falcon. Dr. Stewart in the Golden Fox, we have Pico the Alien in the Wild Goose, Samurai Goro uh, and in the Fire Stingray. All of these uh, racers are featured here. And what I love here, uh, this is amazing. So if you can find this issue, uh, you might appreciate this. Uh, what I love is they show stats on their ships. So they show not just the name of the person and the ship, but these stats. They have pretty useless information here, like engine unit. So for example, the Blue Falcon has the 8F-2001X4 engine unit, while the Golden Fox has the CF-2614X4 engine unit. Very, very useless stats, Uh, but it shows you that they're making an attempt to kind of build out the lore of this game. The next three spreads show you various tracks and an illustration of their layout. I'm not going to describe these in great detail, but definitely check them out if you want a nice flashback. Uh, if you remember this game fondly, there's a link in the show notes to Retro Mags where you can see a scan of this issue and all Nintendo Power issues. 
Before we move on, why not uh, just one more F-Zero song since the music is so good. Uh, So we'll play that now and then we'll jump into our next game. that was another f-zero track this time from playing with power you can check them out as well in the show notes for this episode totally support them if you can we've played some playing with power tracks on this uh, on this show before uh, and they're amazing Uh, i love listening to them so moving on to our next segment of power time we have now playing we're going to talk through a couple games that have been recently released starting with roger clemens mvp baseball so this game a baseball dream come true looks like standard baseball fair to me again uh it's using the mmc3 chip uh graphics and sounds 3.0 play control 3.1 challenge and interest 3.3 and theme and fun 3.4 Standard baseball fare seems to be a bit more strategy options uh, in this game tied specifically to managing your pitching rotations. So a bit more strategy than your typical baseball game, but everything else looks pretty run of the mill, regular season mode with a password system. Uh, But the big review here in this issue is not MVP baseball, it is Metroid. And to my knowledge, this is the first time that Nintendo Power did something like this, where they looked at a game that was kind of released around the pre-Nintendo Power Power era, back when uh, Nintendo Power was not yet a full magazine. It was the Fun Club News. And for the most part, um, they didn't have an opportunity to showcase this game. Um, so they took the advantage of doing it now, and it makes a lot of sense. So we have still the Ultimate Space Adventure Metroid, NES Classics, Hints and Tactics. That's kind of how they tee this up. So I'm assuming a lot of people were revisiting Metroid, uh, even though the Super Nintendo was being released. This was probably a go-to game for a lot of people. I'm curious if there was a price drop. I'm not sure if there was uh, price drops back in the day or sales, uh, but I'm curious if this game became more accessible. Um, so we learn a little bit about the history of the game. We learn about Samus's power-ups, energy tanks, missiles, the round ball, the long beam, bombs, ice beam, high jump, screw attack, Varia, Wave Beam, you'll recognize these if you played any of the Metroid games. Uh, So awesome. Um, And then we learn a little bit about the best ending. So we get spoilers here. It's amazing. Uh, Nintendo Power never ceases to amaze me with the spoilers. There are many surprises in Metroid. One surprise is that there are four endings determined by how fast you finish the game. 
The chart to the right shows the items you should get and the order in which you should get them. The numbers correspond to numbers on the maps. The minimum essential items needed to finish the game are shown in red. And it says win in two hours or less to see Samus Aaron's true self. Except they show screenshots, so they take away all the fun in actually doing it. Uh, they Again, they never cease to amaze me with the spoilers. Uh, we do get maps too, maps of what looks like uh, the full game. I can't remember in, in entirely, but it looks like it's the entire game, locations of all the essential and non-essential items. You have info on all the regular enemies, the sub-bosses, and the big bosses. And then finally, there's some strategy here on how to defeat Mother Brain and become a Metroid Master. Um, so there's all kinds of cool stuff here. Uh, and then we have a little bit of a note here on the universe expanding. Uh, we're going to learn a little bit about Samus coming back in a bigger world and a smaller pack. Metroid 2 for Game Boy is coming out this fall with Samus challenging a vast new world. More on this later. So this is an opportunity to hype, to build some hype, uh, of course, for Metroid, a franchise that is returning for its second entry. Uh, there's also an interesting thing here, too. Uh, Justin Bailey is the top half of a code that lets you begin with full missiles and six tanks. I don't know who Justin Bailey is. Uh, that's interesting. I wonder if it was a developer uh, on the game. But we're going to break. We're going to listen to some Metroid music because it's so darn good. And then we will get right back into this episode. The galaxy is at peace. Animation live from SR the 88. Bring it random, get dropped like baby weight. I leave them shocked like 808s and heartbreak. Probably never should have gave me space. Now I take off, coming with a great force. Ran Brenda Moore, winning all face loss. And I give them all, make them all break north. Wreck a smile on a game of a great loss. Cause no matter what, I got it all joy. I recall sitting on the floor playing with my toys. Not a care in the world, I was just a little boy. Meanwhile, mama stressing out cause she was unemployed. We maintained in the darkest world. Me and just a belly in the So that was Random, a.k.a. Mega Ran, with K. Murdoch playing Galaxies from the Forever Famicom album. This is one of my all-time favorites. Definitely buy this record if you can. Stream it if you can't. It is so great. I don't get a lot of opportunities to play hip-hop on this show, so I take the opportunities whenever I can. And I had the chance to see Mega, Mega Ran and K. Mur Murdoch play in Philly. 
Um, this was a long time ago, but they performed a lot of the Forever Famicom tracks, a lot of the Mega Ran tracks as well. Uh, so much fun. Links in the show notes, along with links to Mega Ran's Twitter account and Facebook pages and his Twitch account if you want to follow him on any of those social media sites. Uh, so we have another review here. Moving on, we have Shatterhand. Uh, Shatterhand has the most amazing artwork. Uh, it is this uh, 1990s action-looking guy. He's punching his fist. You can see his skin is breaking away in his closed fist to show he has uh, a metal hand, right? Uh, beneath the skin, it's all metal or titanium or whatever. He's wearing 1990s-style sunglasses, uh, super aggressive, feathered hair. Uh, it says, hi, my name is Steve Herman, and I need your help. It is the year 2031, and a group of renegade military scientists led by General Gus Grover has banded together using new cybernetic technology to create an army of cyborg soldiers. Uh, so great. Uh, shattering hands. Uh, so that's your superpowers. You have this super fist. Uh, this was released by Jalico. 3.7 graphics and sound. 3.9 play control. 3.8 challenge and interest. And 3.6 theme and fun. Shatterhand comes to the NES from Jalico. and was developed by Natsume. And it is a great action game so graphics and plays similar to scat s-c-a-t and shadow of the ninja a couple of games that we talked about in previous episodes uh, and a lot of uh, challenge and action for game experts to dig into so in this review we learn about how to find and use power-ups there are satellite robots which each have different powers and attacks that help you out there's grenade bot Pyrobot, Yo-Yo Bot. You can probably guess what each of these attacks look like based on their names. Uh, this game looks really, really great. I recall this game. I remember seeing this uh, in rental stores, but I don't recall actually playing it. Uh, very similar to my experience with uh, Shadow of the Ninja and a couple other games um, of this era. Side-scrolling, NES beat-em-up platform. You know, I really wish that I had played this game so I can talk more about it from a nostalgic sense, but I didn't. So if you played this game, I'd love to hear from you. Yo, Power Time on Twitter. Uh, but I'm going to go back and play this at some point uh, because it looks awesome. And again, the graphics look really good. These later NES titles had really nice looking sprites. So the now playing section, uh, we run through a bunch of different games across multiple consoles now. It's not just NES. So let's dig in. We have Captain America and the Avengers, still cultural culturally relevant today. I mean, almost 30 years later, the Avengers are still on top. That was published by Data East. You can switch back and forth between Captain America and Hawkeye, carry out different missions throughout the US. So there's a world map here or a country map of the United States and you kind of move through uh, the actual US here. There's also cinema style cutscenes to break up the action. Again, very Ninja Gaiden-like. Also covered in this issue, we have Wolverine's NES adaptation from LGN. LGN has kind of a negative reputation, but I still love them. I still love the games they put out, no matter how bad they are reviewed on YouTube. Uh, just a few paragraphs and screenshots here. I don't remember this game either, but I do remember the Wolverine and Spider-Man titles on Super Nintendo. They were so good, uh, and we'll be talking about them in future episodes. We have Pirates, Ahoy Me Hardies. This is a rare limited game published by Ultra Games. It's a port of a PC game, and the premise is basically a pirate sim. 
uh, Pirate Simulator. This is not too far off from what we have from Rare today. So Rare's latest game is Sea of Thieves on the Xbox and PC. Very popular title, and that is a Pirate Sim as well. So it's interesting to uh, remember the history, the heritage of Rare here uh, was a Pirate title. Pilot Wings and Super Bases Loaded. They get a little call out here. We're now getting into Super Nintendo territory. Pilot Wings was published by Nintendo, so I'm a little surprised that it's only getting this little piece of real estate here in the issue. I remember Pilot Wings for N64, but I also remember Pilot Wings being popular and a great game on Super Nintendo. So it's interesting that it's not getting uh, a ton of coverage because it was a Nintendo title. Uh, there is a list of all of the Super Nintendo games reviewed so far, uh, up to date. Up to date list uh, after the release of the actual console. We have Act Razor, Castlevania Four, F Zero, Final Fight, uh, Gradius Three, Hales Hole in One Golf, Pilot Wings, Populous, Sim City, Super Bases Loaded, Super Goals and Ghosts, Super Mario World, and Super R Type. That is a great lineup for the launch of the Super Nintendo and also kind of the post-launch games that came out right around it. I think if you had F-Zero, Castlevania 4, SimCity, and Super Mario World, if you had those four games, I mean, you were experiencing the next gen. You were set. Um, So a lot of awesome games here. We'll talk a little bit more about those as we move through uh, some of the future uh, episodes. We're going to hopefully dig into a couple more reviews. So jumping into our next section of Power Time, we have previews. There's a big Flintstones poster, the rescue of Dino and Hoppy coming soon from Tato America Corp. Uh, I don't know what was on the opposite side of that poster, but here I can see uh, this big Flintstones poster. And I remember that game being a ton of fun, just a Flintstones licensed platformer. Uh, But let's talk about the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. I just touched on all the titles uh, that were released at the time. But there's a really good section here. And, and, you know, this is where the action was in October of 1991 anyways. I mean, people were getting hyped about the Super Nintendo, but they had questions. People had a lot of questions. What is this? Because not everyone was used to a multi-generation model for consoles. Not People weren't necessarily used to, okay, you're going to have the Nintendo then the Super Nintendo, and then five years later, you'll have the Nintendo 64, then the GameCube. People now were were looking for what is the next generation of consoles going to look like. We know there's going to be one, but for the NES, uh, people were introduced to video games through the NES. It was, we had the arcades, and some people had Atari, of course, and some people had some other home consoles, but for a lot of people in the United States and a lot of people in Canada and all across the world, really, Uh, The NES was their first introduction to a home console. So when the Super Nintendo came out, people, especially parents, especially the people who were going to be buying these these consoles that their kids were asking for, they had a lot of questions. So this is a top 10 Q&A section where Nintendo answered all of those top questions about the Super Nintendo. So I'm going to go through the ones that I found to be super interesting. I'll read a few answers, but not all of them. The first question was, how much will the Super NES cost and what is included? Included in the base SKU, Super NES 16-bit control deck. Uh, It's going to be the deck, Super Mario World Game Pack, two controllers, not just one, the AC power adapter, the stereo AV cable and RF switch, plus your manuals, your warranties, 
and the expected MSRP was in the neighborhood of $200 with games costing $50. So not bad. I mean, not bad, especially considering inflation and all those things. Uh, but it's interesting to look back. You know, that was the package. That, that was what you were getting. The next question is, when will the Super NES be available in stores? Later in the fall in the United States, unfortunately in Canada, sometime in 1992. The next question is, what is a 16-bit machine? Uh, People weren't used to bits and bytes and all the tech jargon that came with that. So Nintendo had to educate. You know, this was an evolution from the 8-bit NES. Will the Nintendo still make NES games? This is a very interesting answer. So Nintendo and Nintendo Power says, you bet, with over 30 million NES control decks in the U.S. alone, licensee programmers and companies aren't about to turn their backs on the NES. So they say licensee programmers and companies aren't about to turn their backs on the NES. They do not say, we, Nintendo of America, we, Nintendo Global, uh, we are not about to turn our backs on the NES. It's almost clear that their sights are set on the Super Nintendo. Now we know a few games come out for the NES after this, um, but it's clear and it's hinted at in this answer that they're moving on. Can both systems be connected to one TV? How many games will be available? Uh, We just went through a bunch of them uh, that have already shipped and they say that more than 40 titles uh, in progress were shown at the previous CES. Why can't NES games be used on the Super NES? A lot of people were looking for backwards compatibility. What accessories will be available for use with the NES or the Super NES? Uh, No plans, according to this. Always look for the Nintendo seal of quality because the Super NES has an expansion port like the NES. Anything is possible, including networking attachments, keyboards, and CD-ROM drives. Very interesting answer here. Will the same games be available for both the NES and the Super NES? Uh, They say it's explicitly identical games probably won't be on both systems. And how can I find out more about the Super NES? And the best answer here, keep on reading Nintendo Power. Uh, So if you want to know more, if you want to be in the loop, keep that subscription to Nintendo Power going. In your case, stay subscribed to Nintendo Power and Nintendo Power Time Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. I think we're on Spotify. I'm not sure yet. I'll make sure that we are and all your favorite podcast providers. Uh, And of course, if you have any questions, you can call 1-800-255-3700. I wouldn't recommend you call that number now. It's probably defunct uh, 30 years later, but you could always call that number if you have questions. I don't know if they would charge you uh, like they would charge you if you called asking for game hints, uh, but that was their toll-free number here. And as we get through this FAQ section, we've got some actual game reviews in what is called the Super NES Showcase. Three of the hottest new titles, Super Ghouls and Ghosts, Hales Hole-in-One Golf, and Super R-Type. The quote here is, the wild 16-bit graphics and intense stereo sound are more than superb. Super power has arrived. Super Ghouls and Ghosts is up first. This is an updated version of Ghosts and Goblins. Brought to you by Capcom, the amazing Capcom. I'll be honest, this is a great game, but the preview here does not sell it too hard. The screenshots are very small and very dark. Some compelling sprites, especially some of the enemy sprites, but gameplay is very similar to the NES game. They show off some of the bosses, a few of the stages, the graveyard, the ghost ship, snow mountain, and the big cave. Uh, But again, not very compelling of a preview. 
Uh, after that, there's Hale's Hole-in-One Golf, which looks super boring. I will be completely honest. I do not golf. I've never golfed a day in my life. But even if I did, these screenshots would not get me excited to play this game. And if I'm offending you because this is your favorite game on the Super Nintendo, I hope that it's not. Please let me know on Twitter. Uh, But this does not look like a game that most people would be getting super pumped for, even with its wild 16-bit graphics and intense stereo sound. Uh, But interesting enough, uh, it's here. And then following that, there's Super R-Type from from, uh, Iron. Eight megabits of shooting. So this is a shoot-em-up, fast-paced, side-scrolling shoot-em-up game. Uh, Super R-Type is a classic, a new dimension for a classic game. Many of you are familiar Many of you, quote, are, the letter R, familiar with the great play and theme of Irem's R-Type. Very, very uh, nice wordplay here from Nintendo Power. Uh, there's some very dark screen grabs here, too, uh, but there are an- there's enough here to actually get me hyped for the game. There's some highlights of the enemy sprites that look really, really great, very detailed, very big sprites. You didn't have those on the NES. Uh, We get a look at some stages and also some of the weapons described here as classy weapons with a punch. Uh, Pack Watch, uh, moving on, covers a couple different games, NES and Super NES. We have Ultima Warriors Warriors of Destiny, uh, which promises over 100 hours of RPG gameplay. That was for the Nintendo. Uh, We have G.I. Joe 2, obviously a sequel to G.I. Joe. And then we have Crazy Land. Uh, Crazy Land is a very weird looking a game that is described here as Dewey and Dixie are best friends, but when Dixie is snatched by a huge mutant hand, Dewey becomes a super kid who bops evil clowns with a soccer ball. Yeah, we thought it sounded silly too, but this action game from NTVIC and VAP, which also sounds kind of silly, can be a kick. Younger players or older players or players like us who have had it up to our ears with cuddly bunnies and happy ducks getting away with murder uh, in this game. Very bizarre sounding game. I don't remember playing it, but I kind of want to go back and, and, and play it just to check it out based on this description alone. So maybe I will do that soon. And then turning the page, there's another smaller Super Nintendo preview section here called the Super Nintendo Development Dispatch. These are games that are going to hit the shelves eventually, uh, but they're still very much in progress. We have UN Squadron, uh, known as Area 88 when it came out in the arcades. This is a Capcom uh, shoot-em-up game as well, Uh, but the actual animation here looks really, really good. Uh, Really awesome-looking game. And then Populous, which was a popular game, no pun intended there. It was a PC game, and uh, it looks like this was a port from Acclaim. And this was a popular game too. This was like a world building uh, type of game. I I don't recall playing this, uh, but it's kind of that world building civilization style game. A little bit of strategy, a little bit of action. Uh, Very, very cool. Gossip Galore. uh, Paperboy is coming out on all three consoles. So you start to see a little bit of this too. Paperboy 2 will be out on the Game Boy, the NES, and the Super NES. Um, I think, you know, all slightly different versions, of course. Uh, but Paperboy was a classic game for the Nintendo, so very excited about that. King's Quest V, Chessmaster, and Final Fantasy II, uh, Square's sequel to Final Fantasy, which we will be talking about, I believe, in the next episode. 
So moving on to the next section of power time, we have That's So Retro. This is my opportunity to pull out all the things that are super 90s, kicking things off. We have Nestor's Adventures, which is a comic. Uh, We have Nestor, of course, uh, riffing off of Star Wars, which we talked about in the last episode, and uh, just a goofy little uh, Star Wars featured comic strip here. We have Chewbacca, C-3PO, and they're trick-or-treating. Uh, as different Star Wars characters. Uh, But then Boba Fett comes and kind of interrupts the whole thing, of course. Uh, But yes, Halloween, Star Wars, Nestor, can't go wrong. Counselor's Corner, uh, we look at a couple different games that the counselors help us out with. Star Wars, Maniac Mansion, The Uninvited, and Crystallis. Lots lots of uh, tips and tricks there. And also in Counselor's Corner, we profile the game counselors. So every issue, I like to point out some of the game counselors that are profiled. I always love to highlight uh, some of the awesome women uh, who served as game counselors because usually it's just a bunch of nerdy white guys. Uh, But every so often, um, you have some diversity, which is nice, right? Uh, So Linda Molinari, She's be, she, uh, she became a game counselor in June of 1990. Her hobbies include horseback riding, hiking, volk sporting, and fishing. Her highest NES score was Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. She uh, scored 999,999, and her favorite NES game was Destiny of an Empire. But while we're here, let me also feature uh, Mike Jumper. Uh, his hobbies include bowling and weightlifting. Uh, too many to mention. His best NES accomplishment. Can't even pick one. Favorite game is Final Fantasy. And Greg Roth. Because Greg Roth has one of the best hobbies uh, that I've seen to date from a game counselor. And that is playing NES games and eating pizza. Uh, his highest NES score is a score in Tetris. His favorite game is Batman. And then Matt Lacombe. He likes playing jazz. So he's a cultured Gentlemen, um, best NES accomplishment. Finished Contra five times with one man. And his favorite NES game, very uh, very nice selection here, Little Nemo, the Dream Master. So Mike, Matt, Linda, and Greg from the Power Time Podcast, if you're out there listening uh, in, your, in your older age, we salute you. The celebrity profile in this issue is Joe Regalbuto. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. He played Frank Fontana in the hit TV series Murphy Brown. He said he plays Game Boy to keep his mind off of the cold Utah weather when he's shooting Murphy Brown, and he likes to play baseball Nintendo games with his kids. But other than that, he likes to travel, cook Italian meats, and play the saxophone, but not all of one. (laughs) See, I can't even say this without laughing. I'm going to try that again. Other than that, he likes to travel, cook Italian meats, and play the saxophone, but not all at once, of course. And that's amazing. I both love and hate this celebrity profile equally. It doesn't sound like Joe cares much for Nintendo at all, but somehow he manages to be the profiled celebrity here. Uh, and he loves to do these really obscure things like travel and cook Italian meats. I actually, I like to travel and cook Italian meats too. I don't get that much time to do uh, traveling, but Italian meats all day, every day. I don't play the saxophone, but if I could, I wouldn't do them all at once. So we're having a little bit of fun, and that's a good uh, segue into our next section of Power Time, which is Are We Having Fun Yet?, where I just kind of pick up all the odds and ends, the things that I didn't have time to mention or they didn't fit in somewhere else, Uh, and that is, of course, our special feature on Game Boy games. Um, The games that we cover here, 
Uh, I didn't want to go into too much detail during the review section. Castlevania 2, Belmont's Revenge, Bart Simpson's Escape from Camp Deadly, Track Meet, and Monopoly. I had all four of these games on Game Game Boy. So these were classics. Um, 18 pages total covering the Game Boy, which is very rad that they're really featuring the Game Boy. It was it was always in a state of picking up steam. I feel like Game Boy was just getting more and more popular year after year. More people were getting them. More families were getting multiple Game Boys so you can play two-player games with the link cable. But I remember these games fondly and I did have them. Uh, Players Pulse for this issue. Uh, This is where players can write in and share letters to the magazine. Uh, It's pretty awesome this month. Kids writing in to share stories of how their parents hog the action and took over the NES or their Game Boys at their homes, either when they weren't there or even when they were there. Um, The player's poll contest is Paperboy 2 themed. Uh, First prize, this is pretty awesome. Um, So the first prize, if you send in uh, the survey that they always had, where it was kind of basically free market research for Nintendo, uh, and then you would be entered to win a prize. Grand prize for this one is uh, Paperboy themed Family Mountain Bike Vacation mountain bikes and safety helmets for the winner's family, vacation report with winner's picture in the local newspaper. I thought that was really, really awesome. You know, like not only would you win this awesome trip, but you would win a feature in your local newspaper. I don't know how Nintendo would have managed to do that, but uh, pretty awesome. And the Paperboy 2 game pack whenever it was released, uh, presumably for the NES, but I guess if you had a Super Nintendo, they might've given you that too. Okay, so I skipped over, I actually skipped over, I clipped some screenshots uh, in my notes here of some of the letters that came in through Player's Pulse. Um, So Nintendo mom gone crazy. My mom, Janice Neal, is a Nintendo mother gone crazy. She has finished 18 games. Among them are Zelda 1 and 2, Dragon Warrior 1 and 2, Final Fantasy, Hydlide, Ultima, Star Tropics, Willow, Strider, Maniac Mansion, Legacy of the Wizard, Clash at Demon Head, Fexanadu, and Magic of Scheherazade, Crystallis, and Shadowgate. She's almost done with Castlevania 3, Dracula's Curse. When she's not busy playing games, she's a good nurse, a Girl Scout leader, and an all-around great mom. And there's a picture here of Janice Neal, and she is intense looking. She is playing the NES and she looks determined. I don't know what game she is playing, but wow, this this photograph. If you can find a scan of this issue, please do it. And then there are two unrelated letters that I clipped where players are talking about playing with their feet. So fantastic feats by power playing feet. And then more fantastic feet. Uh, so there's one letter here from Jason Schatz from Oxford, Maryland, uh, where he severed his thumb muscle so he couldn't play NES. Uh, He's beaten 31 games to date, but for uh, this uh, long period of time during uh, the summer, which is a terrible time to sever your thumb muscle, um, he had to play with his feet using the advantage. Um, So he learned how to play with his left hand on the joystick and his feet on the buttons. Not only did it work, but I beat Super Mario 3 with my feet. Now that my thumb has healed, beating games with my feet is just for show. I love that story. And then uh, a 15-year-old, Scott, was involved in a bad accident in which he suffered severe injury to both of his hands. During his stay at the hospital, he became terribly bored just sitting and watching TV. One day, he had his feet sticking out of the hospital bed, and he said, I bet I could play my NES with my toes if they would bring it in here. And he, sure enough, 
learned how to play the NES with his toes. Uh, It's really, really funny. There's a great picture here of that. And finally, let's go through what I like to call the top 10. So Nintendo Power lists the top 30 NES games. I just go through the top 10. We're going to start things off with Game Boy, and then we'll move on to Nintendo. So Game Boy's top 10, we have Super Mario Land, TMNT, Fall of the Foot Clan, Dr. Mario, Final Fantasy Legend, F1 Race, Tetris, WWF Superstars, Mega Man in Dr. Wily's Revenge, Castlevania The Adventure, and at number 10, we have NBA Challenge. And for the NES Top 10, we have Super Mario Bros. 3 still on top, TMNT 2, the arcade game, Battletoads, Final Fantasy, Mega Man 3, The Simpsons, Bart vs. the Space Mutants, Dragon Warrior 2, Crystallis, Tetris, and Bases load it. So I'm not sure when we're going to get the Super Nintendo Top 10, but of course, when we do, I will add it to the mix. Up next in the next issue of Nintendo Power, the November issue, issue number 30, we're going to cover Tom and Jerry. Tom and Jerry are added again. This is a licensed platformer. Where in time is Carmen Sandiego? Final Fantasy II, which I believe is on the cover of this issue, and Battletoads, who are back on the Game Boy. Uh, And that's going to wrap up today's episode. Uh, Featured music, the intro and outro of Power Time, is uh, provided by Azure Flux, used with permission. Thank you so much for that. Link in the show notes to check that out. Other songs featured, um, we had some Star Trek music from 8-Bit Stereo, uh, Wee Guy on YouTube. Thank you, Wee Guy. Uh, F-Zero Music from On Being Human and Playing With Power. Check them out as well and support them if you can. And then we had Galaxies from Mega Rand, a.k.a. Random, and K. Murdoch, Forever Famicom. Such a good album. Check it out. That featured uh, some Metroid sampling and uh, just a great hip-hop record if you want to listen to that. Links in the show notes to all of the musical artists uh, that I would definitely encourage you to support. But that's going to wrap up today's episode. We will be back hopefully next month. I'm trying to keep it up to a monthly cadence at the very least. Hopefully we'll start pumping these out a little bit quicker. I want to thank you as always for your time and attention. Uh, I know that uh, I've been releasing a little bit slower. I do want to put out a quick PSA. So in previous episodes, I mentioned you know Discord, Facebook group, uh, email, newsletter, I haven't really been doing a lot of those things. So I started to shut down a lot of that stuff. Uh, So if you go looking for the Discord server, it's not really there. If you go looking for the Facebook group, you might find it, but there's really not much activity going on there. Uh, But I still want to hear from you and I still want to interact with listeners. So the best way that you can interact with me uh, right now, fortunately or unfortunately, is Twitter. Uh, You can reach me at yo power time, Y-O power time. Happy to hear from you. Let me know what you like about the show. Let me know uh, how I can improve things. If there's any uh, different segments that you want me to cut or add, if there are shorter episodes that I could add in between the longer ones that you might find enjoyable, I'm happy to do that. Whether it's talking about new Nintendo news or new Nintendo titles on Nintendo Switch uh, or talking about old retro games, whatever it may be, uh, happy to jump in and do that. So let me know what you like. Uh, If you want to leave a review on iTunes, that's really helpful or whatever your uh, podcasting platform of choice is. 
new reviews, honest reviews, just help me improve the show. Doesn't have to be five stars. Also helps people find the show. And of course, if you haven't subscribed yet, subscribing is really awesome. But honestly, the best thing that you can do uh, is is really easy. And that's just go find a friend that you used to play Nintendo with and tell them to check out the show because they might enjoy it too. Uh, but I want to thank you again for listening. Your time and attention means everything to me. Um, I'm still releasing this show, even though I went on a long hiatus. And I was shocked when I released the last one after months and months and months, how many downloads it got. Um, so there are still people subscribed and listening. And I, I love that. I appreciate that. Uh, these are my memories, but they're your memories too. And I'm happy to share them with you. Um, so stay tuned for the next one. And as always, play hard, score high, and be excellent to each other. I'm Tom Tate signing off. Keep on playing with power.